More than 50,000 New Zealanders live in retirement villages. Another 30,000 plus are in aged residential care. So all up, that's the population of New Plymouth, the equivalent of around 55,000 staff are employed across both kinds of facilities. That's the population of Nelson. Demand for spaces and in villages and in care facilities will increase substantially from now on with an ageing population and the need for more staff. Workers will become acute, especially in rest homes. If you're in a village, I'm sure people know all this, units tend to be cheaper than the cost of similar freehold options nearby, but you don't see the capital gain. There are the deferred management fees and the average weekly maintenance fees across New Zealand are $120 or so, and climbing, and that doesn't always include power, phone and internet. In the UK, they have what's called almshouses. The word arms is old, as we know it means giving freely to the poor. In the old days. Now, to qualify for the sorts of almshouses we're about to discuss, you have to be over 65. You must have lived locally and must still be able to live independently with help from carers who might assist you if necessary. And you must have low income and limited capital. We have similar arrangements in New Zealand for residential care. The big difference is that this isn't residential care. The new almshouses are like fancy retirement villages in one building. For people without much money, no big deposit required. How can that work? One of the villages you can easily see online in the middle of London with a nice view of the Shard is Appleby Blue. That's the one we'll talk about. The Guardian newspaper reports, You'd be forgiven for thinking you were in an alpine spa hotel. Water runs along a channel beside a lush bed of ferns and a sunny courtyard before tinkling into a shallow pool beneath the dappled shade of mature Jinko trees. The 57 spacious apartments are accessed off broad, light-flooded walkways paved with terracotta tiles and lined with planters and chunky wooden benches. Research suggests older people in the almshouses live two and a half years longer on average. There are big rooftop gardens, communal spaces galore, buses that stop outside to whisk residents to various parts of London. Local groups come in for sessions on gardening, cooking and craft skills. So we do some of that here, but here we pay more for it. Martin Craddock is the CEO of the United St Saviour's Charity Southwark, the organisation behind the almshouses. Martin, good morning. Good morning. Lovely to have you. From London. Yes, good morning from London. Lovely to have you on. What made you, I know it's a long story, Martin, but what made you support the idea for these arms houses? What was the rationale? United St. Saviour's Charity has existed since 1541, would you believe? And our first arms houses were built in 1588. And so arms house provision is in our DNA. And so it's something that we've done for centuries. We have built this beautiful piece of development for older people, which is um, just fabulous and stunning to look at and, and live in. It looks fabulous and stunning. Uh, can you describe the living a bit more and the thinking behind the design, Martin? The thinking behind design was very much driven by our architect, Stephen Witherford. And what really drove him was this this need to see that older people could interact with each other, whether that's visually or in person, face-to-face, 
um, and and he designed the whole of that into the in, into the fabric of the building. So it's very transparent. It's very porous. You can see people out in the streets. People from the street can see in, and you can also see your neighbours from across a courtyard. It's a solid-looking building. So arms houses often form a really sort of strategic part of your area and people can recognize an almshouse from a long way off and this building feels solid but it feels grounded in in this neighborhood it doesn't look alien so it's got a strong brick color and it's got beautiful oak windows everywhere so it looks quite different to most modern modern developments and that's deliberate we wanted people to feel that this building could have been here for for many years and we hope that it will be here for many centuries to come. And the one we're talking about called Appleby Blue in London, when you see it from the outside, it is thoroughly imposing. It could easily be, I don't know, a big swish Scandinavian hotel without balconies. Yes, it has been described like that. Um, I would like to see it as, as a really pioneering innovative piece of architecture for the area that will stand the test of time for a very long time we have students of architecture already out on the street taking photos um, passing by and the older people who live in here wave at them raise a glass of wine to them while they're taking photos we haven't quite got round to charging five pound for every time a photo <laughs> is taken but we're thinking about it actually there's a reason for the lack of balconies i think isn't there? Yes. A lot of them have said, we don't want to use our balconies. Why would I want to sit alone and stare out? I want to talk to people. So essentially what we've built is the balconies inside the building in these sort of in these covered courtyard walkways where people can um, talk to each other, but they can still feel they're on the outside. And as you say, one crucial idea is to have the older people interact with or at least view the outside world as it rushes by. So the experience of the people in this particular example of an almshouse, the one we're discussing, is is what? What what is reported back to you? We are getting some fantastic feedback from our residents already. Um, they are so happy to live here. A lot of these people have been living in in homes where they've brought up their families for the last 40 years. So it has been an enormous jump for them to actually um, leave leave their family homes and come here. But so far, everybody we speak to is so thrilled to be moving into what I hope is their best home. So we always like to think that people's last home should be their best home, particularly in the social housing sector where Often the quality where they've come from has been poor and and quite usually the choices of housing they can go to um, in their retirement in the social housing sector is also quite poor. So what we provided here, I think, is a benchmark that others should really consider ought to be replicated elsewhere. So there's an emphasis on promoting sociability. I know you have dance classes, yoga sessions. Uh, Martin, our retirement villages have similar offerings, but at far greater cost, I think. And our villages often are pretty well removed from the outside world. That's the big difference. Your concept integrates older people with everyone else in the community, or, or at least to a certain extent does. Yes, that's the typical 
a, a direction for people when they want to retire away from the city centre is that they're pushed to the margins of, of the city. So you'll find there are some lovely, fantastic retirement villages on the outskirts of London in, in the Green Belt. Or, you know, there are, there are um, happy communities of older people living down on the south coast. But for those people who don't want to move out from the communities that they've grown up in and brought their families up in and their families still live around them, the choices have often been lacking or very poor. And what all we've done here is just create another choice. We haven't solved the whole housing crisis for older people. We've just provided a bit more choice for older people in social housing who want to continue living in an inner city borough to still have fun and not feel that they've been pushed to the margins and to a, re to a retreat from society. This is the opposite of a retreat. This is so transparent. We want people to look in from the outside and say, gosh, those older people there, they look like they're having fun in their old age. I hope that I can have exactly the same when I grow old. <laughs> and that's a lovely thought. And the people who are shy and a bit reclusive, they don't tend to stay that way, I understand. I, if people want to stay reclusive and shy, we're not going to force them out of their shell. Um, there are plenty of spaces here which give um, privacy, um, whether it's in their flat, but there are also some lovely spaces where people can just tuck themselves away into a corner. We have some fantastic garden spaces. There's a rooftop garden, which is just for residents only, where they can potter about growing some vegetables. Um, there's a little woodland garden at the back. And there are some rooms here which feel very snug and you can hide away in a corner. But not all people want to um, be completely reclusive if they hear nothing else. One thing that we, we've learned is that there are some older people they will always be a little bit reclusive. They will always be um, introverted. But what they enjoy is to sit in a corner, read their newspaper, but they can hear the sound of other people enjoying themselves. And to them, that's just as important. Martin Craddock is talking with us, and Martin's the CEO of the United St Saviour's Charity. The question on everyone's lips, certainly on mine, is how is this living affordable because you're also a charity I understand that supports refugees and young people and music and the arts. The question is where the money comes from. Um, so as I said before the charity was actually founded in 1541 and over the centuries we've been um, blessed with the endowments of various benefactors over the years um, and those endowments um, take the form of um, well there's money which we invest but there's also some fantastic properties which we're very lucky to have to this day um, for for your listeners who have ever been to London many of them will probably have been to the very famous borough market and the charity still to this day owns a number of pubs and shops and flats in the borough market um, environs which um, provide us with um, rental income, which helps us fund the charity. Of course, the residents have to pay some contribution towards living here. Um, they don't pay anything like the average London rent, which I think in New Zealand dollars would be close to 4,000 
dollars a month our residents would pay typically about 1700 to 1800 dollars per month to live here so it's incredibly affordable and the majority of our residents here would receive um, a housing benefit from from the local authority which would fund that which means that they can then have a great life just living on their state pensions and what savings they've managed to create during their life have i got this right that there's planning legislation in the uk that subsidizes to an extent quality retirement living for people without money you know, even as you build quality retirement living for people with lots of money. Is that embedded into development somehow? Yes, there is a requirement normally for developers to have to make a contribution towards affordable housing. In London, typically, a developer, if they built 100 homes, they would need to provide 35 of those as affordable housing. Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily have to be for retirement housing. Often it's built for younger families or, or single persons. And what makes this quite unique is that this is one of the first examples of where that affordable housing contribution has been used towards retirement housing in the social housing sector. So it is embedded into our law um, and it's particularly valuable in, in the London itself. It is such an interesting initiative. Uh, there's research being carried out, Martin, academics embedded, a couple of them, in the community for a year or so. What are they studying? So for us, carrying out research here is 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 really fundamental. We can all talk about how wonderful the work that we're doing here is, and we can judge from the residents how happy they are. But if we really want to make a difference, we want some real hard research evidence behind that so we can say that if people undertook this activity in our kitchen the benefits to them are measurable and it's measurable in their health and it could be nutritional health but also could be their mental health and their well-being so that therefore helps informs our decision making as to where we want to place our funds to to make things better for um, next year but it'll also help influence the wider world as to what really works and what has the greatest impact martin finally the interesting thing here as well is that you have spared no expense i don't mean to imply any extravagance but you have gone for style haven't you you've got exposed ceiling joists and quirky window nooks and all these architectural touches that are far from Spartan, functional, but also very, I guess, comforting for older people. Would that be right? I think it is. I mean, why shouldn't people who live in social housing get decent quality homes? You could, I could take you two miles up the river, Thames, to flats which are in the retirement sector, which have cost people two million pound plus, and they will have all mod cons. But yet, in the social housing sector, are people meant to just live in drab, simple homes? We want to show that if you build something of great quality, people will want to move here. They won't be pushed here because they're in a housing crisis. They will actually be prepared to give up their family home with its three bedrooms and come and live here because it's beautiful and it'll do 
wonders for their mental health. And at the same time, what you've actually done is you've freed up a three-bedroom council home for a family to move into. So I think if you build of fantastic quality, and, and, and why not? I think it's unfair that so much social housing is built cheaply and of poor quality that you will actually transform the lives of people living here. They will go to their GP a lot less. They and they will just have a better life. A better life. Congratulations on the initiative, Martin, and thank you very much for sparing the time to talk to us. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day.